Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I never minded being deaf, and in fact, I preferred it as I got older. I know that I was expected to feel lonely, even isolated, but I loved the silence. It allowed me to move through life without distraction. I only had to turn on Fox News to be glad, and reminded that my genetic predisposition was saving me from a massive headache of all the unnecessary noise in the world. My parents, on the other hand, saw my disability as some sort of personal slight to them, as if God was sticking out a thick middle finger when I was born. Barbara and Louis Cascade, with their perfect upper-middle-class existence, were not supposed to have a deaf daughter. I was exactly how they wanted me to look, with corn-silk blonde hair, porcelain skin, and bright blue eyes. But to them, I was like a beautiful piece of pottery with a large, unsightly crack down the middle. Useless. They tried everything. Surgeries, naturopathic doctors, acupuncture, anything that might fix me. When nothing did, they conceded. There was always that lingering feeling of disappointing them, even though I excelled at school, had a great job, and married a dream of a husband named Teddy. I think that is why I agreed to the surgery. I wanted to finally make them happy, give them the daughter they always wanted, a perfect daughter that could hear. That was to be performed by a renowned otolaryngologist named Dr. Wilson Hubbard, who was based near my hometown on the outskirts of Seattle. The doctor was very clear that there was a high probability of failure, and that he was still working on the nuances of the operation. At my parents' insistence and pocketbook, he agreed to take me on as a patient, clearing his schedule. It all happened so fast that Teddy was unable to get off of work so I was forced to fly out to Boston by myself, greeting my hopeful but anxious parents in Seattle. We went to the hospital where Dr. Hubbard dumbed down the surgery to the most pedestrian of terms. I nodded along, not really taking in anything he was saying. The night before the operation, I lay on my old bed, FaceTiming Teddy. I had become acutely skilled at reading lips over the years. I love you too, I said signing with my hands before turning off the lights and drifting to sleep. I was given anesthesia, and when I awoke from the surgery, a nurse was there to help me, calling my parents and the doctor to let them know I was conscious. How are you feeling, Callie? said Dr. Hubbard. Stroking his white beard, he reminded me of a slimmed-down version of the KFC Colonel Sanders. I'm okay. There's some pain in my... I stopped, and Dr. Hubbard gave me an amused smile. I... I can hear my voice, I stammered. Oh my god. My mom began crying as her and my dad wrapped their arms around me, brimming with joy. Thank you, Dr. Hubbard. Thank you, my mom said in tears. She sounded like I expected her to, high-pitched and jarring. My dad's voice, on the other hand, was low and smooth, pleasant. We went back to my parents' house and I called Teddy to let him know that the surgery was, as far as I could tell, a success. 
That's amazing, he said, and I was so glad to find his voice melodic. I'm swamped at work, but I'll try to get out there as soon as I can. Promise. When my parents and I sat down for dinner, I could still feel a bit of pressure in my ears, but overall felt normal. I was talking excitedly about some of my new favorite sounds. When I heard something, it was like my mother's voice, except in the faintest of whispers. It's a shame she still has the same voice. What? I said, and both my parents looked at me. Did you just say something about my voice? My mom's face turned ashen. No, dear. Nobody said anything about your voice. She gripped her glass of Chardonnay, taking a long sip. I turned my attention towards her and could hear something else. It was a sound that I would later identify as a squeaky wheel, a low ambient noise, almost undetectable. There was something else too, a hushed but warm hum. Bum bum bum, a bum bum bum, mashed potatoes. I looked over to my dad, who was heaping another spoonful of potatoes on his plate. I caught his glance and he gave me a small wave. Over the next few days, I came to discover it wasn't just my parents that I could hear, but everyone. That each person carried with them their own individual and unique sound, most of the time just a background noise that was so faint I could barely hear it. I would occasionally come across a thought in words, but for the most part it was just an audible sensation. I spent my days on YouTube listening to as many sounds as I could, so that I could identify the noises that I heard from people around me. Mrs. Tucker, a pleasant woman across the street who was a wonderful cook, had a noise that I could best describe like teeth being sunk into fried chicken. The mailman's sound reminded me of rain falling on stones. Roger, my parents' gardeners, sounded like a deck of cards being shuffled. They weren't all pleasant sounds, though. I ran into an old English teacher of mine from school, Mr. McGrath, a surly man who sounded like a choir of farts. A mixture of small toots and wet thundering rips. I had to suppress myself from laughing, listening to the ricocheting flatulence as we made small talk. A few people had music as their sound, not the simple rhythm of my father, but complex wonderful areas that left me speechless. I was walking down the street and stopped in front of our neighbor Leah Silverstein's house, an older woman and Holocaust survivor. I could hear her sound even at a distance, a devastating and hauntingly beautiful music that left me standing still, unable to move as tears fell down my face. My favorite sound, though, belonged to children. I'm not sure why it was, but I found that all children had the same sound, unlike adults. It was a mixture of giggles and laughter, hearty and cheerful. If I went by a playground or a school, I could hear the collective noise of joy and happiness, a magnificent orchestra that made my heart swell every time. I was shopping in the downtown area, marveling at my new reality, a life full of sounds. All I had to do was shift my focus to a person and I could hear them. Tugboats, wolf howls, rustling leaves, the sound of milk being poured onto Rice Krispies, snap, crackle, pop. Then I heard something, a vociferous boom that rang throughout my head, paralyzing me. It was like nails against a chalkboard. I could hear a word, cutting through, clear and awful, repeating, hurt, hurt, hurt. I held my breath, my mind spinning, as I staggered in the direction the noise was coming from. The closer I became in proximity to it, the more pain I felt. 
like spikes were being lodged into my temples. Sweat poured down my face, and I felt like I might collapse. I looked up from the ground to find myself standing in front of a dilapidated motel, the kind that looks like it charges by the hour instead of the day. In front of me was a door, marked with the number three. I called the police, giving them my location, lying and telling them I could hear screaming from inside the room. When they arrived, I stood back, watching as they knocked on the door. An unremarkable older man answered. As he opened the door, I could hear another noise, the soft sound of piano being played, and an undeniable word, help. There's someone in there, I screamed, unable to contain myself. The police officers pushed through, much to the man's protest. From where I was, I could see her, a young girl, bound to the bed, and just her underwear, a plastic bag covering her head. I saw the man arrested, and the girl, whoever she was, rescued. To my relief, as the bag was removed, the music that was so faint increased in volume. I left before the police could ask me any questions. And although I didn't tell anyone, not even Teddy about my newfound abilities, I made the decision to confide in Dr. Hubbard after the incident at the motel. I sat in his exceptionally clean white office during my check-in and told him everything. He sat back listening, his owl-like eyes studying me intently. Just curious, what is my sound? He said. It's like the crunch of fresh snow underneath boots. It's lovely, I said with a smile. This made him chuckle. The ear is a fascinating thing, and I can only surmise that what you're experiencing, or why, for that matter. The procedure is reversible, though, Callie. I would be happy to... He trailed off. I shook my head. No, there's so many wonderful things about it. I couldn't imagine shutting it off now. It was not long afterwards, though, that I thought differently about the sounds. I was in my parents' kitchen making lunch and chatting with their cleaner, Anita, who sounded like coarse hands being rubbed together when it hit me. It was a sound that took my breath away, children screaming and crying in pain, as if they were being tortured and maimed. I could hear them yelling in anguish. It was excruciating, the noise penetrating and inescapable. It enveloped me, and I could physically feel the sound, like knives tearing away at my flesh. I began to cry, and a wave of nausea crippled me, and I sunk to the floor. In front of me, I saw the front door begin to open. Teddy's beaming smile came into view. Surprise! He called into the house. There was a look of concern as he saw me braced on the floor. He came over. Callie, are you okay? What's wrong? I looked at him in horror, the children's cries echoing in my head, even louder now. My beloved Teddy, my husband, and bearer of the worst sound in the world. When I was in high school, I was a bit of a social outcast. I didn't have many friends. I was shy and quiet, and most people didn't even know I existed. So what did I do? I started hanging out with two bullies, pretending to go along with their shenanigans in an effort to fit in and get noticed. Although I didn't bully people myself, I often felt myself laughing when they pulled cruel pranks and humiliated others. Deep down, though, I felt sick to my stomach letting them get away with it. Their names are Trevor and Brad, and during freshman year, 
they made it their personal mission to attack this one girl, Beth. You see, Beth was just like every other awkward freshman girl, but she had one physical feature that stood out. She had a big nose that Trevor and Brad made fun of whenever an opportunity presented itself. I personally didn't think it was that noticeable, and I felt terrible for the constant bullying she had to deal with. But I was young and dumb, and I was trying to make friends myself, so I cast those feelings aside out of selfishness and focused on my own well-being. One day I gathered the courage to invite a group of people over for my birthday party. It ended up being a sleepover, and Trevor and Brad decided it would be a good idea to invite Beth over. I told them to take it easy on her and not do anything mean. Well, they didn't listen. We were playing this game called Bags, where one person leaves the room, and everyone hides in a sleeping bag, and the person comes back into the room and has to guess which bag someone is in. While Beth went to the bathroom, Trevor and Brad thought it would be a good idea to stick dog crap in one of the sleeping bags. When Beth returned to the living room, the game started, and I was the person already waiting in the other room, while everyone else climbed inside a bag to hide. Trevor, Brad, and a few others quickly jumped into a bag, leaving only one left for Beth. She ended up climbing in head first and quickly crawled out with tears running down her face. When I returned to the room, I looked over at Beth, and my heart sunk. The pain in her eyes was real, while Trevor, Brad, and others chuckled and told her it was just a prank. I grabbed Beth and quickly helped her wash her face in the bathroom. That was the last day I hung out with Trevor and Brad, and Beth, until our 20-year high school reunion. Last week, our 20-year reunion took place at a local pub. I was a little hesitant to go as I had not kept in touch with many people from school. A few nights before the event, as I'm still debating whether or not to attend, Beth, of all people, sends a friend request to me on Facebook. I accept and she instantly sends me a message saying I should come to the reunion. Now we had seen each other in passing and had been in a few classes together here and there, but we never really talked to each other much after that sleepover night. It sounded like she really wanted me to attend though, so I ended up going. To nobody's surprise, Trevor and Brad had not changed one bit. They were already pretty toasted when I approached them. I share a few beers with them and catch up, anxiously awaiting the arrival of Beth who convinced me to go out in the first place. An hour or so passes and this woman who walks in, who kind of looks like Beth, but I'm not entirely sure. She walks up to the three of us. Trevor and Brad get excited that a woman has approached them. Hey Keith, long time no see, huh? The woman says to me and goes in for a hug. Keith, bro, you didn't tell us you had a girl, Trevor says. I'm a bit taken aback. And then it hits me. This woman is Beth. She must have had some serious plastic surgery. Guys, don't play dumb. It's me, Beth, she says facing Trevor and Brad. Beak, Brad yells. The beak? Trevor follows with. A long silence, not a great way to reconnect. I'm about to butt in and apologize for their idiotic remarks when Beth laughs it off. The beak is back. I had a bit of work done, as I'm sure you can tell. She doesn't seem phased in the slightest. It's as if she has washed away all the hurt feelings from the past. She's now embracing the name that used to rip her to shreds. How have you been all these years? What have you been up to these days? I ask her, changing the subject as fast as I can. I'll be honest, I've been doing really well. I'm a surgeon in a burn center, 
It's been a really rewarding career so far, she responds. After some chit-chat back and forth for another hour, Beth invites Trevor, Brad, and I back to her house for some more drinks. The three of us are a little surprised at how nice she is being, but we decide, why not? Let's keep the party going. Of course, Trevor and Brad are thinking one of them is going to get laid that night. I'm just happy she seems to have forgiven us for our cruel behavior back in school. The four of us take an Uber to her house, which is only a few miles away from the pub. When we walk inside the front door, Trevor, Brad, and I are shocked at the size of the living room. This place looks like a mansion. Her career must be really panning out. Beth goes into the kitchen to grab a few cold ones when Brad turns to Trevor and I. Dude, holy shit, she still has that grow a pterodactyl toy I got her for Valentine's Day. Brad whispers. What the hell? Why would she keep that? She was so pissed when you gave that to her. Trevor responds. Guys, guys, quiet down. She's coming back. I whisper. Beth hands us each a beer and motions for us to sit on the couch. Did I, uh, tell you that you look really beautiful tonight, Beth? Brad says, slurring his words. So, do you guys want to play bags? Beth responds. Um, I reply, not knowing what to say. I'm just kidding, just kidding. You remember what happened last time we played? Beth fires back. About that. I turn to Brad and Trevor and look back at Beth. We are really sorry about everything we did to you back then. We were really stupid and immature. I hope you can forgive us. Hey, it's water under the bridge. Plus, Keith, I don't think you were ever truly in on it. Just these two knuckleheads with you. Beth replies. Beth takes her beer and raises it towards us. To new beginnings, she says. The four of us toast. Now are you guys ready for some real fun? Beth pulls out a Ziploc bag of capsule-like pills. Try one of these and I promise you, you will never forget this night. Beth smiles and hands a capsule to Trevor and Brad. I know you don't want one, Keith. You were always a little more straight-edged than these two, she says to me. Trevor and Brad look at each other. I'm down if you are, Brad says to Trevor. Hell yes, let's do it, bro, Trevor responds. They both swallow a capsule and down it with a swig of beer. Keith, you know I've always had a crush on you, Beth says to me. You have? But we treated you so badly. I feel horrible about everything we did to you, I respond. Keith, it wasn't your fault. You just wanted to be noticed. You had your own demons you were battling. I get it. Plus, you helped me that night of the sleepover. I will never forget that. These two, on the other hand? Well, I've been waiting for tonight for years and years, and now it's finally here. Beth turns her attention to Trevor and Brad. They stare at each other puzzled. What do you mean? Trevor says. Brad grabs his face and starts to shake violently, flailing back and forth. What the hell is going on? What the hell kind of crap did you give us? He yells at Beth. Moments later, Trevor had the same reaction. He begins clawing at his face as if something is inside trying to break out. Damn, what is happening to me? You feeling this too, Brad? Trevor lays on the ground and starts convulsing. I sit there watching this unfold, not knowing what to do, hoping this is just a potent batch of drugs Beth has given to them. Trevor and Brad both stand up at the same time and unleash a scream that sounds so painful, I cover my ears for a second. Tonight, 
You will feel pain like you have never felt before, Beth says with a big grin on her face. I'm frozen and too nervous to move at the moment, so I continue to watch Trevor and Brad spaz out. And then I see it, the most disturbing image I have ever seen. Trevor starts peeling skin off of his face, around his nose, as his nose starts to extend outwards into the shape of a beak. Moments later, Brad's face explodes with skin, unleashing a beak of its own. I fell back behind the couch. When I slowly climb back up, I notice wings bursting out of Trevor and Brad's arms. I no longer recognize them. They are taking the shape of a pterodactyl. Beth starts laughing hysterically. Beth, what have you done? I yell. They have fully transformed at this point, so I decide it's time to bolt. I run out of the house and I'm running through the front yard. I hear glass break. I turn to look back and see what was once Trevor and Brad lie through the living room window. They both soar into the sky and disappear from my sight. Beth steps outside. It's just the two of us now. Do you want to come over and hang out? She says to me. I don't respond and sprint as fast as I can. After running for what felt like hours, I end up back home. It's been a few days since that night. I told the cops what happened and they ignored me, chalking it up to a bad trip. A few hours ago, Beth messaged me on Facebook, letting me know that she was waiting for me. I'm not sure what to do. Before I begin, let me say I love my wife very much, and still do. When I said for better or worse, I meant it. I don't love what she has become is the problem. The only reason I'm even typing this out is to get it off my chest to someone. My wife and I had been trying to have a baby for a little over a year now, but hadn't succeeded until I bought some takeout at this new restaurant near our home. Molly had miscarried the previous week and was sulking around in a depressive state ever since. She hadn't been eating very much and had quarantined herself into our dark bedroom to grieve over our latest loss. I know Chinese food is her favorite, and it might be the only way to get a full meal in her. It was a nice evening overall. We watched a comedy on TV, Molly gratefully gobbled down the orange chicken with fried rice, and afterwards we cracked open our fortune cookies. Mine said something about working hard, I didn't really care, but I remember hers clear as day. Now is the time, it read in tiny black letters. In that moment she pounced on me. We made love most of the night, and a few weeks later my wife was pregnant again. And once she made it past the two-month mark, we were comfortable enough to tell our family and friends without fear of another miscarriage. I felt like all of our troubles were behind us, and looked forward to starting our perfect family together. Little did I know, that was far from the end of our problems. The pregnancy so far has been pretty standard aside from one thing. Molly's cravings for Chinese food was obscene. At first she would go through multiple cup of noodles a day, or she would cook all of our white rice and douse it in soy sauce, which wasn't that bad. It was even sort of cute at first to joke about. After weeks of this, the only thing I could get her to eat was her special order from the same restaurant. It was almost like an addiction. But anyone who's had a pregnant partner in the past will tell you that you never want to be on their bad side. I was having to make daily trips after work to the damned place, and the smell of sriracha had just begun to make me gag, and she was about 24 weeks into the pregnancy. 
when I went to pick up her latest orange chicken fix. I found that the place had been shut down and boarded up with tape covering the perimeter. It seemed a little much for a potential health code violation, but it made me worried about the oriental chicken crazed monster that was sleeping next to me at night. I knew this news would upset her greatly, so I drove to a different restaurant and got the same meal for her just in case she was still hungry. When I got home, I broke the news to her, but then offered the takeout box as a substitute. I expected her to be a little bummed, but nothing could have prepared me for her reaction. She grabbed the box and opened it frantically near the kitchen counter. She didn't even get silverware. She just dove into the food with her bare hand. She scooped the warm food into her mouth in a primal way before suddenly halting. She frowned and threw the whole box against the wall, screeching like a banshee that it wasn't the same. I was dumbfounded for a few minutes, unsure of what to do, until she stormed off to our bedroom and slammed the door behind her. I convinced myself that her hormones must be the culprit behind her aggressive behavior, and proceeded to clean up the mess she left behind. The next few days, I dreaded coming home from work. The woman I married was barely recognizable, in comparison to this swollen, bellied maniac that took her place and refused to eat anything except for her special order. But there was no way I could get it to her. She went four full days without eating so much as a nibble, and it made her go a little nuts. The first day I came back without it, she wouldn't let me touch her anymore and would simply scream as if I were beating her without mercy. The police even showed up after a while to make sure I wasn't battering her, on the second day, she actually slapped me, but she's not very strong. Her nails did scratch me, though, and I had to lie about it when my co-workers asked about its origins. The day after that, she just sat on my lap and cried. The collar of my shirt was covered in snot and drool as she wept for her beloved meal. She begged and begged, but I just couldn't make her understand that it was gone. On the fourth day, she locked me out of our room. She just slid my clothes and toothbrush under the door, then forced me onto the couch that night. The hunger pains keeping her bedridden after that. I had planned to talk to her doctor about fears of her starving when I came home again on the fifth day, ready for her howling screams of disapproval. But instead, saw her in the kitchen with a big smile on her face. Just that morning, she was hacking bile into our toilet and cursing me for neglect. Now she was my sweet Molly, cooking what smelled and looked like a stew. I smiled and hugged her gently, rubbing her belly with one hand. It had felt like a lifetime since the last time I held the woman I married. I asked why she seemed so chipper now, and she said that once she ate something, she felt a lot better, and realized she didn't need her special order. I was relieved to say the least, and so was my wallet, but it was only for a short while. I wanted to believe the woman I shared a home with was back to her normal self again. Of course, I wouldn't be writing this if I had been that lucky. It was about two weeks later that I noticed all of the missing pet posters going up around our neighborhood. The standard stuff, really, that I didn't pay too much attention to, until my neighbor John stopped me before I went into my domicile for the rest of the day. You know, it's dangerous to have a cat with a baby in the house. Could suffocate the poor thing he told me, which I was seriously confused by since we don't have a cat. I explained this to him, even admitting my allergy to their fur, but he insisted that three days ago my 
not quite back to normal, wife, left our home and came back with a mewling pet carrier. He asked if she needed help, but he said she ignored him and quickly went inside. I asked Molly about it, but she said our neighbor was a nosy bastard and she never brought a cat home with her. I believed her, chalking it up to a lonely old man and wanting some brief company, until we flipped on the news that night. We had a nice evening and home with Molly, in a good mood until we saw our local news reporting in front of the restaurant she had been obsessed with. The young reporter informed our town that the repulsive restaurant had been serving cats as chicken. My wife quickly changed the channel, as I gagged and remembered all of the orange chicken and even the few meals I had eaten from there. This is going to sound silly, but I couldn't get the story John told me out of my head after that either. There's plenty of things we could have talked about, but why on earth would he bring up Molly bringing home a cat? It was painting a disturbing picture of my wife now. I had a feeling what she was up to while I was working, but I had no proof. Not until her baby shower, that is. I wasn't invited, like most husbands. So I got the house to myself for the day. I killed most of the time with video games, but my controller's batteries had died. We have a small cabinet above our stove where we keep flashlights, batteries, and other miscellaneous items. It's above my head and I can barely see inside without a stool, so I grabbed one to make my life easier. While I retrieved the batteries, I saw an old butter tub that I never put in there. Obviously, my wife must have done it, but I wanted to know what it was there for. I took it from the cabinet, noting it made a soft jingling sound, and popped it open easily. I wish I hadn't now. What I saw staring back at me were tiny, brightly colored collars. Most were equipped with bells and even name tags. I picked one up, looking it over. It was bright green, white polka dots, silver bell, and a name tag. I didn't read it though. I was more focused on reddish brown smudges that covered the inside of the bowl and tiny braided collars. I thought I was going to have an anxiety attack until I heard the front door open. I quickly put the collars back and took the batteries I needed before playing the dutiful husband and helping get all the new items from our car for the baby room. She's 36 weeks along in her pregnancy now, and I still haven't confronted her about finding the collars. I want to wait until after the kids are born, so she doesn't hurt herself to spite me. According to the previous ultrasounds, we're expecting three perfectly healthy babies. I know, triplets. A little crazy, right? We went from barely able to have children to having three miracles overnight. However, it's not as fantastic as it sounds. Turns out the same time my wife had her last miscarriage, she ordered these organic fertility pills online, and apparently they really worked. Of course, I didn't find this out until the day we realized she was having multiple babies. Our most recent visit to the clinic revealed their sexes. Two little boys and a precious girl. I can't wait to see them. They'll make this period in our lives worth it. I remember thinking as I gazed at the monochrome screen. I was on the precipice of tears when something my wife said caught my attention. It's like we're having a whole litter, she said with a toothy grin stretched across her face. That unsettled me, especially the way she looked at the screen with her wide eyes. I don't want to believe my wife would eat our children, but it happens in nature all the time if you think about it. I had a pet hamster as a kid that ate all of her babies. It freaked the hell out of me then. The more I look at how my wife gazes at her swollen belly, the hungrier her eyes seem to me. 
I think once the children are able to leave the hospital, I'm going to take them and divorce my wife. However, if she resists, I'll have to put down the feral mother to protect her litter. August 1st, 2001. I remember that day. I had almost deleted it from my memory until my phone rang. It was the same as how the phone rang that morning. We had been planning that morning for a while, my wife and I. It was supposed to be an easy day. Drop off our daughter at the babysitter's for the day, then attend her co-worker's wedding. We had our outfits planned, and she even got her hair and nails done, because she was in the wedding party. I was hungry, and she was rushing around the house trying to dress our daughter and make breakfast at the same time. I'm not afraid to admit that I wasn't the best husband at times. We just weren't ready to have a kid. And as soon as she told me she was pregnant, everything changed. I had been miserable for far too long. It made me want to do nothing for our daughter. The late nights, the constant crying, the neediness. My wife only ever agreed with me, but her family was entirely against abortion. And she took that on, even as an adult, to keep the kid as our own, rather than put her up for adoption. I wished I had more say in the matter, but I just didn't. This day could have gone in any direction, but that all changed when I heard a loud bang from the other room. Babe? I called out, and no response. Damn it! It had almost troubled me having to get up to see what had happened. The image I saw when I opened the door had changed things forever. It sent shivers down my spine and left me in shock for years after that. Holy shit, what happened? I cried out. It was terrifying. Blood all over the floor. The floor was tilted at such a slight angle, but the blood was spreading quickly. I couldn't even move until I realized it had covered my favorite shoes. She w I w My wife was speechless, desperately trying to wipe up the blood with a small blanket, and desperately, while failing to do so, I dropped her. She was sobbing. I finally ran over to the lifeless body and picked it up. No signs of breathing, no heartbeat. And as I went to look at where she had hit her head, it was a bloody skull, cracked, dented so badly I could see her pink brain. I almost threw up as I sat there watching my wife covered in blood, screaming at the top of her lungs. Shut up, was all I said. Shut up and let me think. That's when we formed the plan. Okay, okay, okay. We're, we're, we're going to, um, I couldn't form words. How do we get out of this situation? It wasn't us. My wife finally spoke, wiping her tears and standing up to me. She tried so hard not to look down at the child in my arms. I secretly covered the wound with my hand, just so she didn't have to see what I did. We, uh, we go, go somewhere far away, and we bury her. We can go to the park. We can say we looked away for her one second. We can say she just disappeared. My wife continued. It sent shivers down my spine listening to her. We were just going to dump our child somewhere? We were just going to pretend I didn't see bits of her brain lying on the floor? It made me wonder, just for a second, if any of this was an accident at all. But before I knew it, we were driving. I didn't know where I was going, I, I just kept driving. My wife had bleached our whole house with a story that I'm guessing she could tell police that she used bleach as a cleaner. I had no idea where she got those ideas. 
that I didn't question any of them. It had to have been hours. My wife had gotten non-stop calls about why the hell we weren't in attendance at the wedding. To each one, she just stated our sister flaked at last minute, so we decided to take our daughter to the park. It was dark now. I decided to pull over, which woke my wife up from the nap she decided to take. Why do we stop? Let's just do it here. We left the car and proceeded to the trunk, opening it to a bad smell, which almost knocked us back. We have to hurry, was all she said, grabbing the shovel and wandering over to the ditch next to the road. It seemed like it had been days. I was just trying to get the images out of my head. I was trying to move on. But we had only just begun digging. There was a storm, the winds were blowing louder, and lightning was striking in the distance, while loud booms of thunder warned us to get to shelter. I was praying my wife didn't notice that I was crying. The rain hopefully covered up my tears. Finally, she spoke. This is deep enough. We have to bury her, she yelled over the noise. I couldn't stop, though. I didn't want this to be real. She shook her head at me in my state of shock and went to grab our daughter. She was wrapped in a blanket from our trunk. I had let the shovel fall to the ground. I couldn't do it anymore. I felt sick. Before I knew it, my daughter was underground. Had been killed and hidden away by her own parents, by her own mother. It was just an accident. It was just an accident. It was just an accident. It was over and I had to get on with life, like my wife told me. That's what came to mind when the phone rang. It had been an entire decade. The problem is that we had disconnected our phone not too long after that night, because every time it rang, all it could think about was the bastion skull of my infant. The shrilling wouldn't stop. I had my hand on it, just terrified of what was on the other end. Hello? I answered. Dad? The voice answered. I immediately hung up. I thought I was okay, until it shrilled again. I could feel the cold metal pressed against my hand, as if I still had the shovel gripped in my hand. I answered once more. I stayed silent. The voice finally spoke after moments of terrifying silence. All it said was, It wasn't an accident.